This episode of Wanderlust Off The Page is brought to you by Siwi, Europe's largest photo company with over 50 years of experience in photo services and online printing. Siwi delivers millions of personalised photo products each year, including the award-winning Siwi Photo Book. The brand has over 9,000 five-star reviews and can help you to relive your travel memories. As well as the photo book, you can create wall art, jigsaws, calendars and much more with Siwi. To learn more and to receive an exclusive 25% discount on all Siwi products when you spend £30, visit siwi.co.uk forward slash wanderlust. That's c-e-w-e.co.uk forward slash wanderlust. T's and C's apply. Now, let's get on with the show. everyone and welcome to Wanderlust Off The Page, a travel podcast designed to help you discover the most fulfilling travel experiences on the planet. From culture and history to nature and wildlife, we're going to be taking you behind the scenes of the magazine to go deeper into our favourite destinations and meet the travel writers, experts and personalities who will bring our stories to life. My name is Lynn Hughes, the founding editor of Wanderlust. And I'm Rosa Fitzgerald, the special features editor at Wanderlust. Now, if you're new to Wanderlust, here's what you need to know. Wanderlust is the UK's leading independent travel magazine, which has been taking the road less travelled since 1993. We've won numerous awards along the way, and to this day, we continue to inspire our audience of curious travellers with each issue of our magazine, as well as our website. Both of these are just filled with off-the-beaten-track experiences and some of the world's most exciting destinations, both near and far. Responsible, conscious and sustainable travel is always at the very heart of everything that we cover. So do be sure to check us out by heading to wanderlustmagazine.com or become a Wanderlust Club member and join our community of serious travellers for just £35 a year. That's about 50 bucks. This will get you six beautiful collectible issues, exclusive member-only competitions and events, access to our entire online archive back to 2010, plus heaps of other benefits. And of course, be sure to hit that subscribe button on the Wanderlust Off The Page podcast as well. Today's episode is somewhere that has been on my travel wish list for such a long time. And listening to this episode has literally put that right to the top of the list. Yes, today's episode is an absolute travel icon. We're going to New South Wales in Australia. While many of you may be familiar with its capital city, Sydney, New South Wales is arguably Australia's most diverse state. That's right. There's just so much on offer here from Aboriginal cultural experiences and incredible food to those coastal adventures and so much rare and exciting wildlife. Well, today we're lucky enough to be joined by some real New South Wales experts. So joining us will be Loz Hunt, the owner of the Tanja Lagoon Camp, who's involved with restoring habitat for native wildlife. And we'll also have the absolute pleasure of listening to Clark Webb, who is the owner of Aboriginal business Wajana Yam Adventure Tours in Coffs Harbour. But before we get started, I think it's worth mentioning our friends at Trailfinders, who are the number one tour operator to Australia. So if you're inspired by any of the places mentioned in this episode, be sure to give Trailfinders a call or head over to their website and their friendly experts can help you to plan your perfect itinerary to New South Wales. 
And we have no doubt at all that you'll be feeling very inspired to visit after this episode. So have a listen. So the local beach, Middle Beach, is a very wild and beautiful piece of coastline and it takes about 15 minutes to walk there. So we went where, there with the kids and a couple of their friends of probably aged eight to 11. And we went there to watch the moon rise because there's a spot where we can potentially see the sunset and the moon rise. And it was a full moon. We knew we were in for a treat. So we've gone out to the end of the beach and sat on the rocks. And I just remember seeing these little row of children looking out across the ocean with the magnificent colours of sunset all across the sky, filtering across the ocean, and then the moon rising up over the horizon. And their little excited faces and pointing and turning around to us who were taking photographs of them, <laughs> not really in the moment ourselves, but just blissing out on, oh yeah, this is what it should be for kids growing up really feeding on those beautiful places and beautiful moments in nature. Lois, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh my God, that sounds so beautiful. I know those moments so well with my kids when you just have that, just that simple moment, just looking at that sunset or the moonrise, which sounds incredible. And you just feel so much gratitude for being in this, in this beautiful place. I know it so well. And I can't wait to hear more about this area the Sapphire Coast. It just sounds incredible. What's your story? How did you end up coming here? Well, I didn't come here um, by choice. You know, I ended up here <laughs> because my partner's parents found a beautiful property uh, in this region. And at the time that they purchased it, Sam and I were working out of Broome, uh, far, far Western Australia, far, you know, the furthest actual point on the mainland from here. But, um, once they bought this property, we parked our Bedford van out the back and uh, helped them run a bed and breakfast. And it it didn't take long before we started really feeding on the special aspects of this area. And there are so many, um, starting with the wild places. There's certainly a lot of wilderness in the area. There's there's more than ten national parks within um, an hour or two away. That's incredible. So it's, yeah, it's really special. Um, conserved area already. Mm. Um, but then what really drew us here to stay here and end up having our kids grow up here is the community is so diverse and so alternate. Uh, you don't have to go far away in any direction from Tanger where we are to find a beautiful group of soulful people who live here because they love living here. Um, they've taken a pay cut in their particular professional world and chosen life instead of money. Uh, and that's a pretty special part of the area. So it, it's brought lots of artisans and creative folk and soulful folk. Life over money. That is a choice that all of us should be making, right? But so few of us do. And I think sometimes places like wild places, wild spaces can inspire us to do that. Is that something that you felt uh, when you moved there too? 
I feel like once you feel a deep sense of spirituality with connection to the earth, there's no going back and it's only a journey of making it stronger and stronger. Um, so to ha- that that comes into everything I do now or I always have. So that's why it's pretty easy to have had a lifestyle where it's more about um, growth choices than mm. money making. We live on the property, which is the reason we're here and have stayed here because it's a magnificent site. It's surrounded by a national park. It's on a coastal lagoon. Um, and so we wake up in paradise every morning. That sounds wonderful. And of course, people can come and visit you and wake up in paradise too. And I really want to find out about your camp. It sounds and looks incredible. And I should say, if anyone can hear some slight little um, little crying and, and petting and, and, and sort of lovely sounds of a little puppy, that is correct. There are two people on this interview today, <laughs> Loz and your beautiful puppy. What's her name? Luna. Luna. She's a black lab. And so she's our little dark moon because it's dark moon season here. That's great. And that's when you see all the stars too, of course. And we have tried to uh, convince uh, Luna to maybe go outside the room, but she's too small a puppy. So she's going to stay on the interview with us. She won't be answering questions, but she will be being super cute. We have uh, wedge-tailed eagles out there, so I wouldn't want her to be venturing out there alone for too long. (laughs) No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So um, it sounds like a beautiful place, a wonderful place to live and raise a family. What are some of your favorite things to do there? And the people that come there, like what, you know, what what are some of your most amazing adventures that you can have there? The... um Bushwalking in the area is spectacular. Mm. There's lots of really small-sized day walks, you know, anything from uh, two kilometres to six to eight kilometres. So it's really perfect for uh, lovely day hiking where you get coast and forest hikes. And there's a couple of extended walks too that you can do over multi-days, really accessible Uh, And then boating, anything to do with the ocean, especially in autumn where it's windless and everything's a mill pond to go paddling on. Um, And it's particularly a favourite spot for surfers as well. Um, So, yeah, anything outdoors, really. That's great. Yeah, the the beaches look unbelievable. And, uh, you know, I love getting out in the ocean and doing some kayaking and stuff like that. Obviously, surfing is a huge thing in uh, Australia. When you say boating, like, is it kayaking or like, what what would you recommend doing out there? Well, I would recommend kayaking because I love the non-motor sport. Um, But there's actually a lot of... um Folks who come for uh, to take their boat out fishing out in the ocean because there's lots of accessibility. There's loads of estuaries, um, which is particularly great for kayaking because you know there's um, many protected waterways where you can just go and paddle for a day. And you have some incredible national parks there too, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, we're in one. Uh, it's called Mimosa Rocks National Park, and it's very. Um, the special part about it is like quite a few parks around here, is it's wild all the way to the ocean. So um, there's no separation between the coastline um, and the forest all the way up to the hills. It's a different feeling, isn't it, when you are surrounded by wilderness, isn't it? It's a, it's just a different feeling. And I think maybe people that come from an urban environment and you come to a place like that, your kind of shoulders drop, it just feels 
you know, tangibly different. Is that, um, you know, one of the things you hope for your, for your guests that come and stay to experience? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what really inspires us about having guests here is just providing that opportunity for people to reconnect and have that nature time. Because when we first opened up, we imagined, um, that we would facilitate experiences because that's what we'd always done. Um, but we we uh, we started out with just self-contained travellers coming and looking after themselves. And pretty soon we realised that we just have to create the space and give them some a few instructions about what's available. And then they can do it themselves at their own pace, own time, by choice, uh, as they feel, which is a much nicer way to do it in many ways. Yeah, some of the best adventures are just the ones that you kind of discover by accident by yourself and, and kind of explore yourself. And you mentioned that you're in a national park and I want to come back to your lodge, but there's some other like really close by, like a, a number of amazing national parks. It's a really rich area for that, that wilderness environment. What are some of your other favorite parks and, and you know, what, what can you do there? Well, there's three special mountains in the area that are very significant to the Ewan Aboriginal folk. And they're really striking. And there's a lot of uh, story and spirituality around them. And so visiting those, um, they're, they're welcome places to climb with mindfulness. So anytime going near those places or just viewing those mountains is pretty special. Uh, and another thing I really love about this uh, area is the the diversity of nature experience because the ocean is so rich. The wildlife in the ocean is um, really vibrant. You can go swimming with seals at Montague Island where or um, Baranguba is its indigenous name, where you can just swim off a boat and have seals come and look you in the face and swim away and they're so cute. The little seal, they pop up with their little puppy dog, their eyes. Puppy dog eyes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Little whiskers. It's so cute. Yes. And then the whales, uh, it has it was voted as um, Australian Geographic's number one whale watching area because oh, they stop wow. and feed here on their way back south. So it's a prolific whale watching site. Have you seen some yourself? Yes, plenty, actually. Tell me about it. It's something I've always wanted to do, like up close. Like, have you, have you ever kind of got the chance to kind of get up close in a kayak or something like that and, and, and see them? Well, actually, that was what I was about to share. Oh, is really? That's my dream. Yes, it was. Uh, mine too, actually, <laughs> until it only happened a few years ago. And um, we were kayaking in a bay um, with Sam's uncle, who uh, loves outdoor adventuring, but he wouldn't have gone into this bay. It's quite remote without us there. So um, we were taking him on an adventure and we saw some whales right across the bay and um, had always heard that uh, you tap on the boat and they might come. So I was tapping on the side of the boat thinking, oh, maybe they'll come. And uh, whether it was that or just a coincidence, another five minutes later and a whale came right underneath Lawrence's boat oh. and came up between us <sighs> and lifted up its back and just went and then went back down again. Wow. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And Lawrence has got more than he bargained for. So, because they're enormous animals, was that a little bit scary as well to have that such a big animal so close to you? I didn't feel that. Um, I'm not sure why, maybe because I've been in nature a lot and I 
I feel I can sense whether an animal is coming to get me or not. Mm. And even if it knocked the boat over, we're fairly experienced with being able to right ourselves in a kayak. But Lawrence expressed that he was certainly quite freaked out that it had swum right underneath his boat. So the wildlife experiences are incredible. And of course, this, you know, kangaroos are common to Australia and, and you guys are probably bored of them, but we're not. We are, yeah, and we want to hear about them. And uh, you have a really special place for kangaroos too, right? Yeah, that's right. And we're actually not bored of them. <laughs> Fair enough. You'd think we would be the eastern greys, especially that there's so, so many of them around, but they're so fascinating to watch mm. and we just get to be able to see them being a mob doing their thing without um, running away. So um, we can watch, still watch them for hours. Have you seen them do that boxing thing? Yeah, we have seen that a few times. That's pretty spectacular. Um, especially when it's for real, because they actually, the young males are um, innately programmed to start boxing each other. So you'll see a fight going on but then they'll just stop and eat some grass because they're just having a go because that's what they've been programmed to do. You know, it just sounds like all my kind of wildlife checklist is just going to be by <laughs> staying in your camp. Um, but one of the other things I'm always really fascinated by is uh, the Indigenous Aboriginal culture of Australia, which, you know, I've, I've read a bunch about and, and written a little bit about. And I, it's, it's something that I just think is so beautiful. And that's something that's really a big part of, of your ethos uh, in, in with the camp and, and, you know, with yourself personally, too. There's a huge demand for experiencing culture. So it's always been something that um, we've wanted to encourage in the local Indigenous communities, but it's certainly something that we can't push, that we have to just quietly and, um, you know, advocate for and be here if we can help. But um, we're certainly seeing a lot more uh, people stepping up and wanting to share culture. Mm. And there's actually a shift that we've seen in some um, places where, the storytelling has become something that's so important to share with anyone who'll listen, just so that the stories will be kept alive, that um, it's becoming less um, guarded. The, the, the stories often were you needed to be initiated to a certain, um, to hear certain stories where the um, old people, I think, are willing to tell, tell their stories and share their stories uh, to help keep that culture alive. So, um, yeah, it's, a, it's certainly an area that we would love to see to help local uh, Indigenous folk provide cultural experiences, but only on their terms. I think that there are a few places in the world where that, that is happening and it's, it, it really is empowering and uh, inspirational to hear that and, and to, as you say, advocate for that. But in terms of the activities that a guest could experience, um, you know, with the local Indigenous communities? What, you know, what kind of things could you, could you do? How would you be connected to that community? There are a few operators who are providing experiences at the moment with a walk up Gulaga, which is the special mother mountain. That's an experience that people can book into. And um, there's a, a walk, um, down Eden Way an hour from here that's called the Bundian Way and it's an old journey from the coast to the mountains that groups of uh, Aboriginal people would take regularly to go from the abundance on the coast to the abundance in the mountains particularly to eat moths 
the Bogong Moth. So, and they had big ceremonies up there. So that pathway between the coast and the mountains has become one that has been is being developed as a place to walk and be guided walking, self-guided walking, sections of it. Uh, there's an art gallery along the way uh, to uh, encourage uh, Indigenous uh, cultural awareness. And so that's developing at the moment. So tell me about your camp, the Tanja Lagoon Camp. Yeah, it's an Aboriginal word. It's uh, People often think it's na- the name and they ask if it's Tanya, but it's actually a, a, a UN word, a Jaranjan mm. people word. Of, um, I've heard means a place of clever people. That's a good place to live then. Yeah, feels nice to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so I've seen pictures and it looks absolutely beautiful, but for people listening that haven't seen a picture, maybe you could paint one for them. What does your camp look like? So when you first arrive, you drive through a forest that um, has a nice feeling already that, oh, this place is not, they've come off the highway and it's actually not very far off the highway Um, and pretty soon driving through a forest and that's the driveway for a good 800 metres, you're just winding through a forest and then you start getting glimpses of the lagoon and uh, it's a varying um, ecosystem that's sometimes full to the brim of water and other times has the coating of samphire um, succulents that are bright red or bright green. So it can be very strikingly different every time you drive up the driveway, different seasons. But then it opens up into the property that used to be an old dairy farm and then uh, you get to a a hand-drawn map board that shows you where to go from there Um, and then uh, up up to the office. So we have a new building now and that uh, is just across the paddock from uh, where the tents are. And so we have four tents and two cabins that uh, are along the edge of the lagoon. And it's interesting that the first tents that we built we sat on the decks and went, oh, my goodness, look at that view. We've never sat here before. And we'd been here for years. But the sun sets over the lagoon straight out from the decks of all of the tents. Oh, wow. So it's a pretty lovely place to be as the dusk, the last light hits and then the sunset happens, even if it's cloudy. Oh, that sounds amazing. So we recommend that now that they stay in at least one night. And tents isn't really doing it justice though. Like these are beautiful places to to just sleep and be and watch the sunset, aren't they? They really are. They're a beautiful design. They're African safari tents and they're very cleverly created um, to become a, a room that is cosy and so because it's furnished like a hotel it certainly does feel like you're walking into a hotel room but what I love is that even though we've been hardcore camping and it's you can't really call it camping when you look at it it still feels like it because there's not much separation with the canvas walls and most of them can roll up so that's just fly netting and mostly because you're not blockaded from the sounds Mm. um, and the wind ripples the canvas walls as well. It really does still feel the same, just a lot more comfortable. Uh, Well, I always say that glamping is like the business class of camping, isn't it? It's like you still get all the good bits, but you just get a good night's Uh, sleep as well. (laughs) Yeah, 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 that's it. And I love that too, that that the guests so often say how well they sleep. Um, 
they often wake up with the dawn because you can't help it with all the birds, but then they'll fall back asleep again till 11 o'clock or something and go, wow, I haven't slept that well in years. Oh, sounds amazing. So um, I wanted to come back to something as well because you're involved with the, and obviously your campus as well, with the conservation and sustainability of the area. Is there something you want to, you know, can you talk a little bit about that too? It's such a beautiful area and it, and it needs protecting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was a bit of a snob when it came to being in tourism because I sort of felt like it was a money-making business and not really uh, doing good things for the planet. But it certainly uh, uh, it's shifted for me in that it's better than the other industries that are heavily in this region, which are have been traditionally milling, um, logging of the national um, not the national parks, the uh, state forests, and um, for wood chips, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, Wanderlust readers, listeners are very much uh, responsible travelers, not tourists. I always say travelers and sustainable. Uh, tourism is a massive part of what Wanderlust does. And so that's it's great to be connected with you and hear about all these uh, positive initiatives that that you're involved in. And, and of course, your your camp sounds incredible. Oh my God, like I'm desperate to come and watch that sunset now with you and maybe kayak and see a whale too. Uh, but before we go, what are some of your top tips for someone wanting to visit the region? Like when when's a good time to go? Like how would you do it? What would be your kind of ultimate trip to the region? Well, to stay for more than a weekend, you know, mm. to a, a good sort of five days minimum, I feel, to come here uh, because there's so much to do and see and to get into the rhythm of the place more than just passing through. Um, autumn is the most, uh, the favourite time of year around here for locals because the water's a bit warmer. It's a lot of... Um, perfect outdoor activity days of fine weather and no wind. Um, but then, you know, the whale season's a very exciting one that it happens from uh, in springs, in our springs, so for September till November. Uh, and then, of course, the summer, which is always lovely to be by the beach and when it's nice and hot, but it's certainly very busy in the uh, school holidays. There's great mountain biking tracks so, um, and there's some uh, really good places just not far away to hire bikes, hire surfboards. Yep, surf's a great beginner surf. So really a, a great playground for anyone who's into some uh, softer adventures. It's not hardcore adventure country, but it's, uh, it's, you know, learn to surf. And for an international visitor that's coming, like where would you fly into and what would you build around that to make your kind of ultimate trip? Well, I would fly into Sydney and then you pick up a car and there's a loop that you can do via Canberra up to the mountains because the Alps beyond Canberra are spectacular. So up into the um, Jindabyne region and the Snowy Mountains any time of year and then down to the coast. That's a pretty um, common trip for the mountains folk to come down to the coast because so, both are a beautiful thing to experience. So doing a, a trip to Canberra, then to the Threadbow Valley region, um, Jindabyne, then down to 
the coast and then back down to Sydney, uh, back up to Sydney along the coast. So either direction of doing that, that could be a beautiful couple of week loop to experience. I am in. Uh-huh. <laughs> that just sounds perfect. Like mountains and coast and uh, wildlife. Oh my gosh. Yes. And I forgot to even mention all the art, like, uh, um, that there are so many artists in the valley mm. that if you're an art lover, there's just so much um, to experience. There loads of potters in our little hamlet. And then the foodie um, revolution is enormous. The, the amount of quality f- foodie action going on here now, it's just getting, it, it's growing exponentially, but in a positive way because it's it's r- real producers, salt of the earth producers who are finding ways to get their product to a local market of travellers. Well, thank you so much. Um, it's been incredible to talk to you. Where can people find out more about the Tanger Lagoon camp and, and connect with you directly? So we have a website. Tangelagooncamp.com.au is the best way to get started to explore. Now, one of the best things about travel is that so often the memories you create last for a lifetime, don't they? And one of the best things about our sponsor, CUE, is that they can help us to relive those special memories and keep them all in one place in a beautiful photo book for us to look back on time and time again. So have you got any favourite travel albums, Lynn, or photo books? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm sitting somewhere where I've got photo albums next to me from travels from over the years, including exploring New Zealand from north to south and face-to-face encounters with gorillas sitting there. Oh, wow. It really brings it back that there's nothing like them, really, you know, particularly when you look back 5, 10, 15, 20 years later. And so actually, my, one of my news resolutions this year is to make photo books of some of the more memorable recent travels as well you know those over the last few years because it really does make you live those experiences again doesn't it it really does and you know i love nothing more than when i go home to see my parents just to look through those old travel albums from when we were children and having a look back at those memories and it it really just helps to bring those memories back and make them really fresh again doesn't it oh absolutely and of course a photo book makes a great present for a loved one as well yes definitely and i think now especially when we have you know social media it's so easy just to flick through them all online but it really isn't the same as having that really nice experience of looking through those printed versions and and holding those memories in your hand it just makes it so much more special so whichever travel memories you would like to savor whether it's a recent trip or your first ever adventure siwi can help and a siwi photo book makes for the perfect keepsake so be sure to head over to their website and make the most of their exclusive offer and save 25% on all Siwi products when you spend £30. For all the details and for full T's and C's, go to siwi.co.uk forward slash wanderlust. That's C-E-W-E.co.uk forward slash wanderlust. Right, now let's get back to the show. So from the beautiful Tanger Lagoon Camp, we're going to head north, up past Sydney, all along the coast to Coffs Harbour. This is an incredibly beautiful part of the world, and telling us all about it is Clark Webb. Everywhere we look in our country here, in, in Goombanga country, we have story. To every landscape, to every mountain, to every river, to everything that we see, to every island. 
there's knowledge about every place. Unfortunately, I don't know all of the stories. Um, I'm on a continual journey myself to, to keep learning, but I'm really also, at the same time, I'm, I'm passionate about what sharing what I can share and what I do know. And it's something that I feel really passionate about because I feel so connected to it through those thousands, 60,000 years of, of history. And uh, I feel very privileged to be a member of our community and a descendant of all of that knowledge and all of that history. And it's something that I feel really proud about and I'd like to share that pride. Thank you, Clark. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Welcome to Wanderlust Off The Page. It's a real honor to talk with you and find out more about your area and your community. But let's start with the basics. For people that don't know New South Wales, that don't know this part of Australia, where are you located and, and what's it like? Yeah, so we're, we're located in our, our country here is called Goombinger Country, in a town called Coss Harbour. And we, uh, so we're on the east coast of Australia. So we're, where we are is pretty much exactly halfway between Sydney and Brisbane. Um, so we're a one hour, one hour flight north of um, Sydney or a six hour drive north of Sydney or a five hour drive south of Brisbane. And you're doing a lot of great work through your company, through your ecotourism company, Wajaniyan Tours. Um, and that is sharing some of your culture with visitors as well as doing all the kind of adventure activities, outdoor activities. Can you talk us through a little bit of what that experience is? So we offer a two and a half hour stand-up paddle or kayak tour in three of our really beautiful estuaries here locally. And basically along the paddle, we... We tell our histories. We teach a little bit of our language. We'll teach stories, um, or our guests get to experience our stories that are written in the landscape. Sometimes they're referred to as dreaming stories or dream time stories, uh, which is okay, but I'm always just uh, aware that people may interpret the dreaming or the dream time as something that was made up in a person's dream. And uh, when people actually experience our stories, they see that our stories actually tell a history. They tell us about our country. Uh, they tell us about um, how things were formed, and they tell us about our human history as well, which is really important. So, really, really passionate about um, people experiencing our culture in that way, and uh, and making sure. And it's also a way to ensure the continuation and revitalization of our culture. So, uh, unfortunately, here in Gumbega country, we don't have many speakers of our language. Uh, we have about twenty or so people who. Uh, highly proficient speakers, and of all of those 20 people who speak our language, none of us are first speakers. So none of us grew up speaking Goombinger as our first language. So mm -hmm. we've all had to work really hard to learn our language. Um fascinated about language in general and the connection between language and yeah. culture and how it's so essential to keep language alive to to kind of keep some of that cultural knowledge alive in some ways but i wanted to first go back to the dream time and and that whole um discussion because i think you're right it, a lot of people maybe see that in a inaccurate way or they see that as a kind of story a myth and it's and it's so much more than that could you explain and i think it's absolutely fascinating that that and it kind of leads to this idea of the connection to land that in a much deeper more profound way than than we in the west per, uh, perhaps have can you speak a little bit more about that just to give us a kind of foundation for for um how we're thinking about this 
So I'll use our story of how the ocean was formed as an example. So we have this really long, big story, which I won't tell because it's too long, <laughs> uh, <laughs> about how that, that tells our history of when the sea levels rose. So scientists believe the sea levels rose around 10,000 years ago. So what we know is the East Coast now, 11,000 years ago, was a further 50 kilometres east of where we are. Scientists believe that there was a, um, an ice age and the earth warmed up and hence the sea levels rose. And we have a story that describes all of that, that literally tells that history. And when we put a chronology to it, so we have a, a story which we refer to as Yulodala, uh, and that story tells us how all of the different languages along the east coast were put into the different parts of the country. And in that story, which was which was told, uh, recorded actually, completely in Gumbanga language in the 1970s, the old man who told that story talks about a tribe southeast of here called the Namba. And when the sea levels rose, the Namba lost a big part of their country. So that tells us that all of that, that history, historical moments, um, there's facets of the story. So in our story, there was two sisters who actually created the ocean and the younger sister went north and the older south and they went right around the continent of Australia. And then they came back, they came back right here into Goombenga country and rested here and became an island. Where these islands are marks the spot where the warm currents from the north and the cold currents from the south all mixed together. And it just so happens to be where those two sisters commenced and finished making the ocean. And so I think that's the best way I can explain that interconnectivity between our stories and country. Yeah, and forgive me if I get this wrong, but the one of the things that's always fascinated me is this sense of being part of the land, which I think a lot of indigenous communities um, around the world have, and perhaps a lot of people that live in cities or, or whatever have forgotten, but this, this sense of not just living in the land, but the land being part of who they are, like we exist in this larger ecosystem. Is that something that, that you feel is important too? Oh, yeah, for sure, definitely. So one of our goals of, of our tours is to get people to really love country Mm. Um, and to really respect country and, and to see them see themselves as part of the great circle of life, as they say in the Lion King. And um, and because if we if we all love our country in a deep way, like Indigenous people, peoples all around the world do, um, we'll do better. You know, we'll do better for our environment. We'll do better for our countries. Um, we'll do better uh, when it comes to um, global warming all of those type of things. So um, I think that's a really important facet of our tours as well to educate people as much as we can. I know you work a lot with, with kids. Are you finding, because in our present day, the sense of that time, the sense of the future is something that we uh, perhaps we've lost a little bit of. I always like, there's this story here in the UK, there was a really old church, an 800-year-old church, and they knew that the beams of this church would have to be replaced in 800 years. So they planted oak trees all around the church so that it could be replaced. And it was a big news story because they, they cut down these old oaks to use the beams and then they repaired them. But did they plant those oaks back again? 
No, they didn't. Of course they didn't, because they couldn't conceive of that 800 years in the future. And in the same way, do you feel that's a struggle with young people today to to get them to think in this kind of broader way, to see themselves as part of that continuation? I think we're having a success now with our youth to see themselves as part of that succession now. So they're understanding the history, mm. especially our recent histories, and the struggles that of their old people to to keep language intact for them mm. and so that now they're taking it on knowing that their children and their grandchildren will become better speakers of our language than what they are um, and i know that the children i teach that i'm teaching now will in 10 years time better be, be a better speaker of Boombinger than what i am and that's such an inspiration to other indigenous communities around the world, which I think is, is one of the amazing things about that. But let's go back to some of the, the kind of experiences that people can have with you. I know that a lot of what you do is kind of stand up paddleboarding. And there's a, there's a real history that links to your community with, with that sport too, isn't there? Uh, so as you said, we've got the oldest surviving continuous cultures in the world. And uh, we're also the world's oldest stand-up paddlers and kayakers. That's <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So our old people were cutting canoes from trees, um, particularly uh, swamp turpentines uh, in this local area. Mm. And um, and can, in that canoe, um, you could do all kinds of things. And I know that, you know, you do the tours out on the ocean and you also teach a little bit about kind of bush food and, and medicine and stuff like that as well, if I'm correct. What, yeah. Could you give me some examples of what a visitor might might learn with you? So there's things like our, our native sarsaparilla, uh, which people actually sample uh, when it's in. So um, it's got a beautiful sort of licorice taste, and it's packed with vitamin C. We'll talk about things like kangaroo grass. Uh, we'll try and get oysters. Sometimes we'll get another, uh, like a, it's called a cobra worm, which trues through wood that's falling into the estuary. Um we call it jiddy, is the Dangari word, and in Gumbega we call it gugor. So it's a big, long worm that we can um, chuck straight in as we're on the tour <laughs> uh, with wombat berries. So there's a, there's a lot that we can talk about in the bush. And, you know, there's food, there's medicine. So one of our elders, Uncle Mark Fernandes, who we, who we just lost recently as well, he always said that in our bush we have our, our supermarket, a hardware store and our pharmacy. It's all there. You just need to know what you're looking for. That's so great. And so take me out, you know, I'd love to get a sense of what the area looks like. It sounds beautiful. You know, I know that um, I believe Mooney Beach won, you know, one of the best beaches, uh, one of the most beautiful beaches in Australia. <laughs> what does the whole area look like? And, you know, maybe you're out on your kayak or your stand-up paddleboard and what does that feel like and look like to be out there? Yeah, it's really quite unique. So, Obviously, we're a coastal area, but then we're also very close to the mountains. Mm. So you could literally be standing on the beach and looking up towards the mountains with beautiful bush. Uh, we've got some really undisturbed places as well here. So to, to describe that even more, we've got what's called the Great Dividing Range, which runs for the entirety of the East Coast, right from the top of Queensland right down to Victoria. So that would be maybe 2,000 kilometres approximately or maybe even longer. Mm. So that mountain range runs that whole distance, and there's three places where the mountains meet the sea, and uh, we're one of those places where the mountain literally runs down to the ocean and ends at a headland. It's pretty amazing. 
I'm pretty biased, but we're the best place on earth. <laughs> no, it sounds so special. Like I always feel like where the mountains meet the sea and where these different ecosystems come together. And, you know, in terms of your area, obviously people are going to come and spend some time with you and go out on a couple of different tours. What else would you recommend? Like where should they stay? You know, if you had, let's say you had three or four days there, what, what else would you recommend doing? Look, I think we, we are gradually building a really um, amazing Aboriginal tour trail. Mm. So if a person was to fly into Sydney, for example, and then make a drive, if they wanted to drive up to Brisbane, they could literally stop probably six to eight times in the way and experience different Aboriginal cultural tour operations mm. up and down the coast and they cross different countries. So if you're moving north, first you'd go into Waramai, then Burupai, and then Dungari, Goombang. So you're experiencing all these different Aboriginal nations uh, and the different stories, and some of those stories actually cross over the different nations. So I'd definitely recommend that. In approximately one year as well, we'll have an eco-resort open right here in Coffs Harbour, Goombanga country, mm. called, called the Yilami Eco-Resort. So we're aiming to go fully off-grid, and it's the best views. So you're up on, it'll be up on top of a mountain overlooking the ocean. Um, and from there, you'll be able to connect to all these different cultural experiences. That's something that'll be really amazing. Oh, that's you sold me. That sounds like an incredible trip. <laughs> Just a beautiful road trip anyway. But I love the idea of the, the story that links it, the theme that links it is all these different uh, kind of Aboriginal ecotourism, social enterprises that you can, you can visit and have these incredible experiences, but also contribute, learn something and also perhaps contribute a small amount to, to, to these communities as well. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for all the incredible work you do. Um, where can people find you? What's the best place to, to look you up? Wyatt.com.au. So W-Y-A-T.com.au. There's also a link to another website called Bulletin Yungan Aboriginal Corporation. Um, so 20% of our profits are donated across to um, the corporation. Uh, and the corporation is the proprietor of uh, the Goombanga Yingana Freedom School, which just opened this year, and it's the first uh, bilingual school of an Aboriginal language in New South Wales. And so it's that real commitment to the revitalisation of our language and culture that's so important. Well, it's wonderful. And, and thank you again for coming on the show. Listening to your, your kind of passion uh, about all of this is really inspiring. And, and I have no doubt that you'll, you'll achieve all those goals that you've, you've set to, to do and are already achieving. So thank you so much. It's been amazing to talk to you. And uh, yeah, I hope to see you in Coffs Bay one of these days. Thank you very much. Well, that just about wraps up our time here today. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to hit that follow button and subscribe wherever you get your shows. Please also come back for more. We have lots of incredible stories coming up and we just can't wait to share them with you. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. Cheers. This episode of Wanderlust Off The Page is brought to you by Siwi, Europe's largest photo company with over 50 years of experience in photo services and online printing. Siwi delivers millions of personalised photo products each year, including the award-winning Siwi Photo Book. The brand has over 9,000 five-star reviews and can help you to relive your travel memories. As well as the photo book, you can create wall art, jigsaws, calendars and much more with Siwi. 
To learn more and to receive an exclusive 25% discount on all Siri products when you spend £30, visit siri.co.uk forward slash wanderlust. That's c-e-w-e.co.uk forward slash wanderlust. T's and C's apply. Wanderlust Off The Page was presented by Lynn Hughes and Rosie Fitzgerald. The interviewer was Aaron Miller and the show was produced by Armchair Productions, the audio experts for the travel industry. 